So this is one of my favorite services of the year, and I hope you're coming to appreciate it and enjoy it as well, just the simplicity of the service and the fact that we can all be together in one, one hour, and I know many can't be with us today because of the holidays, but it's really has become one of my favorite uh, Sundays. And one of the reasons is because we pursue a corporate discipline together. We pursue a habit of grace, a spiritual discipline. And so uh, I can't think of a better day than Sunday after Christmas, the Sunday after Christmas, to think about contentment. Because I finally realized that that Chevy truck commercial's not happening <laughs> in my life. Do you know which one I'm talking about? Where the husband whistles and this perfectly colored cocker spaniel comes bounding through the snow to his wife. Oh, it's beautiful. <laughs> and then she whistles. You know, just, and here comes the truck over the hill and it's pushing snow out of the way. It's like the Silverado savior. So I guess by now you've realized that's not happening to you either. Like, so this is a good Sunday for us to think about contentment or maybe more, a little more realistically, your Amazon wish list, you got what you wanted, but it didn't fit exactly right or it wasn't the right color. And you smiled and you said, thank you, but inside you're like, you know, I like it, I just don't love it. <laughs> um, I mean, we really have become the I like it, I just don't love it culture. That's who we are. And this customer's always right thing has really messed us up. So we want to talk today about contentment and think about um, this resolution. Think about resolving in your heart for 2020. If you want to join several of us in pursuing this, um, the discipline is contentment. And so here's the way we would put the resolution together. Resolved, I'm going to practice the life-giving habit of contentment this year. I'm going to choose to practice this life-giving habit and discover contentment in the year of 2020. If, if somehow, it, like, so if, I, if we were having a conversation before church or after church and I said, hey, listen, I've got something for you. This thing, like, I got something for you. Like right here. I'm going to give it to you in just a second, Peter. Grace. I've got something for you. Just, I'm going to give it to you in just a second. What I have for you will make your marriage better. It will make your singleness better. It'll make your job better, your unrenovated kitchen better, your school, college experience, whatever, wherever you are in school, better, your friendships better, your coaches better, your church and everything in it better, your health in the midst of serious illness like, if I could somehow give you something this morning and just hand it to you, would you be interested in taking that? Like, would you receive that? Because I really think that contentment is that powerful. I don't know of what I speak, but I'm tasted it. 
Like I've tasted it just enough to believe the gospel truth that contentment is really what I need more than all the other things I think I need. So if I could hand that to you this morning, I would say, go there with me, receive that this morning. I want to try to give to you something that could really, it's, it's probably one of the most underrated spiritual disciplines in the Christian life. If you will practice contentment, if you will exercise the muscle of contentment day in and day out, I'm telling you, it will change every single aspect of your life, every circumstance, every relationship. It's amazing. I'm just getting this hope from the scriptures. Philippians chapter 4, I want to show you three things that Paul personally discovered about contentment. I think Paul really did discover these three things throughout his life. And by the time he writes Philippians, he's able to, with integrity, say what we just read. I have learned to be content. So let me give you three things. Number one, contentment does not depend on circumstances. Number two, it's found in God. And number three, it's learned by practice. First of all, contentment does not depend on circumstances. Look back at chapter 4 with me and just look at, at this paragraph, verses 10 through 13, and look at how clear Paul is about this point. So if you've got a Bible open, if you don't have a Bible with you, there's one in the pew in front of you. I'd love for you, uh, I think it's page 982 in that Bible. Just join me in this, in this paragraph in Philippians 4 and watch for this. Watch how Paul is really trying to convey contentment does not depend on my circumstances. Verse 11, whatever my situation is, whatever my situation is. Or verse 12, if I'm in a low place, some of you may be in a low place right now, or a high place. Verse 12 again, in any, look at these words, in any and every circumstance. Just, just start picking apart the text here. Look at what he's doing. Look at, look at verse 12 again. In hunger or in plenty, in a place of need, or if I've got abundance. I feel like there's just this cascade of blessing and I've got enough to, to share with everybody. No matter where Paul says, no matter where I find myself. So Paul was no ivory tower he was no ivory tower theologian. For him, the struggle was real. And he's come to this place of realizing it doesn't matter what his circumstances are. In fact, if you study Paul's life and ministry, you will find a lengthy catalog of hardships that confirm his life was anything but easy. We're all assuming life is supposed to be easy. It's not. Here are a few examples. See if you can identify with this. See if you can identify with some of Paul's hardship. Financial stress. Philippians 4. That's what he's talking about here. Uh, in verse 10, back up to verse 10, he says, you revived your concern for me. He's talking about financial support. Verse 18, I received the full gift that you sent me. He's talking about financial support. Paul lived dependent on the people of God to supply his needs. And he was not always in a place of abundance. Paul was very familiar with financial hardship. Or think about physical illness. Physical illness, in Galatians chapter four, he recalls a severe illness, maybe malaria, we're not sure, but it sidelined him frequently, interrupted his ministry plans. 
2 Corinthians 11, he says he was beaten with whips five times. I'm assuming it took him time to recover from that. Acts chapter 14, one time he was stoned and left for dead. He was in three or four shipwrecks, no doubt beaten up coming out of those. Paul was no stranger to physical setbacks, physical illness and setbacks in his life, financial strain, physical illness, vocational problems. Paul suffered vocational problems. He, he felt the personal responsibility for the health of many churches. And every, and listen, listen to what 2 Corinthians 11 says. In 2 Corinthians 11, Paul says, besides everything else going on in my life, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Now, what would it have been like to live under the massive weight of feeling responsible, not for one church, but for many churches? And yet, somehow, Paul did not suffocate under that responsibility. Or relational conflict. Here's another category. See if you can identify with this. Relational conflict. Paul was often misunderstood personally, sometimes rejected, and on a few occasions abandoned by his own friends. Relational conflict was very real to him. Very real. In fact, in Philippians 4, he says one church even forgot about him. Like, do you, have you, has that ever hit you? Somebody forgot about me and you, you felt that? You were forgotten? Like you were not important? Or in 2 Corinthians 6, listen to this. Paul actually gives himself to people, and they don't respond to him. He says this in 2 Corinthians, uh, sorry, 2 Corinthians 6. We have spoken freely to you, Corinthians, and we've opened wide our hearts to you. We're not withholding our affection from you, but you are withholding your affection from us. Open your hearts to us, Paul says. You've got to be able to identify with some of these financial struggles, physical struggles, work struggles, relationship struggles. The Apostle Paul's no stranger to all of these areas in life that we struggle with over and over again. And yet, in each of these circumstances, you see it over and over again, it looks like Paul's trapped in these circumstances, but somehow he finds a secret passageway out. I love secret passageways. Do you like secret passageways? I'm a, I'm a, I'm a total fan of secret passageways. Paul found one. And he finds one over and over and over again in any circumstance that he's in. He finds a secret passageway, not that takes him around the problem, but the secret passageway takes him down deeper and underneath the problem. There's a secret gospel tunnel, if you like, that Paul finds no matter what his circumstances are. A secret passageway where he tunnels down deeper and deeper and deeper to make sure he gets in the right place. And what is it? What is the secret passageway that will always guarantee for Paul that he gets through? Not around the problem, but through it. It's, just, it's, the, it's, the, it's verse 12. Look at verse 12. It was verse 12 and 13 together, actually. And it's point number two. 
contentment is found in God himself. Paul has learned to tunnel deep, to get out, or to get through is a better way to say it. Look at verse 12. I have learned the secret. You see that phrase? I've learned the secret. He's really not just talking about the secret to being content in the sense of like a magic formula. Okay, when I don't have much, I know how to do this. When I have a lot, I know how to do this. That's really not what he's saying. I think he's saying more like this. Here's the secret that works in every and every circumstance. I am going to find that God is enough right now. God's enough for me right now. The gospel secret of contentment is nothing less than discovering that in any given moment of your life, God is enough. Jesus is enough. That, my friend, is what Philippians 4.13 means when Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You've got to connect the secret of verse 12 to verse 13. This is the secret. The secret is that I can find my strength in Christ. I can find my contentment in Jesus Christ, my Lord. That's what Philippians 4.13 is about. It's about contentment. Now, Philippians 4.13 has been, I think, hijacked by so many of us to claim what we want. We just want to Whatever it is we want, we're going to quote Philippians 4.13 to get it. So, like, I can, I can be the next greatest quarterback. I can be the record-setting basketball player. I can be the next amazing entrepreneur. I can be the most highly paid executive in the industry. I can be the next greatest person in the world. As long as I find my strength in God. No, Philippians 4.13, listen, Please hear this. Philippians 4.13 is exactly the opposite of what you just heard. Philippians 4.13 is about being incredibly ordinary and discovering that God is amazing. God is enough. God is the one. Not me. Not you. Contentment is about being easily satisfied in any situation that you find yourself in. Contentment really is about the easy yoke. Someone prayed about the easy yoke a few minutes ago, entering into the yoke of Christ. It's about finding inner satisfaction in God alone and his provisions for you in any given circumstance. It is consciously, one of my friends wrote this, and he said this, it's consciously enjoying the fact that God is good even when your circumstances are not. It's consciously enjoying the fact that God is enough. That's a great way to put it. An old Puritan, Jeremiah Burroughs, wrote a book called The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment in which he said this, Christian contentment is an inward, quiet, gracious spirit which freely submits to, which freely submits to and delights in God's wise, fatherly disposal in any situation. Contentment is freely submitting to and delighting in the disposal of the Father. The Father has the world's resources at His hands. 
But in this given moment, he's chosen not to give me everything I think I need because he wants to be enough. Contentment is the opposite of demanding. It's the opposite of grumbling. It's the opposite of complaining. It's the opposite of ingratitude. Back in November, Vicki and I went away for a little uh, anniversary overnight. And I had, you know, been working fairly hard to get the logistics worked out. She had been working hard to get the kids and the nine-month-old puppy dog. <sighs> worked out. And I, so finally, we're driving there. And, and we weren't going far away, about an hour away. It's a beautiful place in Paint Bank. And some of you have been there. And I'm, we're just cruising, and we're just enjoying it, just like the two of us, and quiet radio, and it's like, oh, this is so amazing. It's going to be a great 18 hours. <laughs> and we were hoping for 24. Didn't work out that way. And then some things happened the next morning, and then you know, next thing you know, we're going home a little early. So I see someone within... I think within the next day or so, who knew I was getting away. And she had asked, this other lady asked, how was your trip? I hope you guys had a great time. Do you know what I said? Just, you might want a different pastor after this. <laughs> I said, um, you know what, it was good, it was good, just not long enough. You're like, there's no sin in that. Well, there could be. I, I could not. I did not have the constitution and the gospel awareness and the strength of character to stare down the complaint that was facing me at that moment. I just didn't have it in me. So I said it was good, but it wasn't long enough. Because I wanted that person to know. I wanted somebody in the world to know that our great 18-hour experiment was a disaster. I mean, it really wasn't, but that's the way I felt. Isn't that the spirit of this discontentment? God gives you a sweet, great weekend with your spouse. And all you can say within a day of that is it wasn't long enough. I'm telling you, that's discontentment. That's the spirit of discontentment. And we're doing it all the time. All the time. Look at Philippians 4 and back up to verse 4. And look at this paragraph. Everything that precedes what we're working on. So go back to verse 4 and look at how Paul his secret is at work already in verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord. Like, find your gladness in God. Let your reasonableness be known to everybody. The Lord is present. The Lord is at hand. Don't be anxious about anything. Verse 7, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. Don't you want peace to guard your heart from complaining and grumbling and pointing out everything that went wrong? Finally, brothers, verse 8, whatever is true and honorable and just and pure and lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence in that, if there's any wor worthy of praise, think about these things. Oh, reflect on those things. Settle your heart and mind on what God has graciously, beautifully, wonderfully given you. 
What you've learned, there's the learn language again, what you've learned and received and heard, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Practice seeing God in these moments. Practice believing that God is enough. Practice believing that I don't have to have all these things to make me happy. Practice believing that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's more about Christ and his strength than it is about me getting what I think my next goal is. Listen, disappointment is real, and it's going to be there as long as you live in a broken world on this side of heaven. But the question is, will you let that disappointment become a doorway into God's presence or into a prison of enslaving, bitter resentment, and you're just always complaining, and people don't even want to be around you because all you do is complain. Paul heard these words from God, 2 Corinthians 12, my grace is sufficient for you. In your weakness, my grace is sufficient for you because my power is made perfect in weakness. This is the gospel moment for me. The gospel moment for me is realizing that this, like, this thing that I think I have to have, I don't have to have. I don't have to be healed to be happy. I don't have to have this job to be happy. I don't have to have that vacation to be happy. I don't have to have a new spouse to be happy. I don't have to have a new this or a new that to be happy. Paul's saying, to, the Lord says to Paul and Paul receives it, for when I am weak, then I am strong. My grace is sufficient for you. Like this is the grace appeal, this is the gospel appeal. Lasting contentment begins with God and his saving grace. Finding rest in the saving work of Jesus, not in making your own way, not in quoting Philippians 4.13 and then turning around and building your own kingdom, right? If you're trying to find satisfaction in life apart from Christ and his life-giving peace, his life-giving rest, it'll never happen. You will chase whatever you're chasing forever. The new puppy dog that I told you about a second ago, his name is Titus. Titus, he's still, he's still less than a year old, so he still chases his tail. Like, I hadn't seen that real life in a long time. It's crazy. When's the last time you saw a dog chasing his tail? Like a big, full-size animal chasing his tail in an endless circle. But man, that's who we are. We're chasing contentment chasing ourselves, chasing in this circle that never ends. Contentment's not there. Trying to find yourself, I almost said your tail, but <laughs> trying to find yourself in that circle is hopeless. All right, so that brings us to the last point. And Paul says, and he gives several clues throughout the passage that you're not going to back into this. Because contentment is learned. Contentment is studied. Contentment is practiced. Contentment is something you, you work toward. Look at verse 11. I have learned. Key verb right there. Drop to verse 12. I have learned. We saw it a moment ago in verse 9, 
learned and practiced. The Apostle Paul was committed to discovering in the Christian life what the habits of grace should be for him, what spiritual formation and the value of practicing and exercising, what it would be for him. And, and he wants to pass that on to the church. And he says, look, I've learned this. I want you to learn this with me. It's something you learn in life. You're constantly learning things in life. Learn contentment with me. He's inviting the church. Learn contentment with me. And why would he say learn contentment? Why not? Well, so, do you have to learn discontentment? No. I've never met a person in the world who needed a class on that. It's so easy. It is our natural disposition to be discontented. It is our natural disposition. It is natural. It's inside of us. Inside of our own discontented hearts, it grows. And from the outside. So we've got two problems. I've got the inside that's just constantly working the soil of discontentment. And then on the outside, I've got this, you know, the customer's always right. And you need more of this. And the convenient mobile order. And this and that. And, and I mean, it's just, it's relentless. I can't win in here. I can't win out there. Man, I need the gospel so bad. We have been trained into, listen, I, I think this is probably true of you. I know it's true of me, but try it on. Ready? I have been trained to habitual discontentment. See if that's true of you. See if you could say in your own heart and mind, acknowledge, I have been trained like Pavlov's dog. I have been trained to a place of habitual discontentment. I think that's true of me. I really do. Not everybody has the same personality. I want to grant for all of that. But in the culture that we are living in, we are so easily disappointed, wanting to fix the moment, wanting to fix the people, wanting to fix this, wanting to fix that. Nothing's exactly like we want it. So how can we practice this gospel virtue of contentment? How can we weave it into our daily lives? Um. First, I want to say the basic spiritual disciplines, scripture reading, scripture memorization, you know, memorizing passages of scripture, praying daily with others, giving, making personal sacrifices, serving, like practice the basic spiritual disciplines. That's definitely the place to start. But even more particular about contentment, let me throw a couple techniques on the table. I want to give you three. So if you're, if you're a note taker, here are three techniques for practicing contentment. Number one, dethrone yourself daily. Dethrone yourself daily. Remind yourself of the basic truth. I'm not the center of the universe. I'm not the sovereign ruler. This thing or this moment does not have to turn out like I think it needs to. Remind yourself, I believe in God the Father Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth, and in his son Jesus. And if you believe in God the Father Almighty and every resource in the world is at his disposal, then let that intersect with the moment that you're having, which is not working out like you want it to, no matter how big or small it is. Remember to dethrone yourself daily. Remember that when Jesus called you, he said, come Follow me. If anyone wants to follow me, he has to do what? Deny himself, take up his cross, die daily, follow me. So that's the first thing. Very basic. 
Christian principle, dethrone myself daily. Number two, resize your expectations. Get into the habit of resizing your expectations. Get into the daily and weekly habit of resizing them because left unchecked, your expectations will grow unreasonable and massive. They just will. That's, that's the way it works. Your expectations left unchecked will grow. They'll get bigger and bigger, and you get more and more disappointed. There's this great passage in Proverbs 30. Uh, it's actually not great. It's just very vivid. It's a vivid passage. It's really disturbing. Uh, the verse says, the leech has two daughters. Oh, great. Talking about the, the leech. A leech is a cre- creepy, slimy thing, right? The leech has two daughters. You know what their names are? Give and give me more. Proverbs 30. What I'm saying is, that's what happens to my expectations. That's what the writer of Proverbs is saying will happen to unchecked expectations. It's in the same chapter where uh, the writer says, give me neither poverty nor riches, because if I'm poor, I might steal and dishonor your name, and if I have too much, well then, I'll forget about you altogether, God. So, resize your expectations over and over and over again. Do not settle on having resized your expectations a month ago. They're growing. Um, One of my favorite books on spiritual formation and spiritual disciplines is uh, The Imitation of Christ by Thomas Akempis. Listen to what he said. Once a person is integrated, made whole, his inner life becomes simplified. Freedom of heart is his. And simplicity of intention is his. And fixity of resolve is his. Now he can live for God's glory and get rid of all self-seeking. Listen to this sentence. There's no worse enemy to your freedom and your peace of mind than the undisciplined affections of your own heart. There's no worse enemy. There is no worse enemy to your freedom and your peace of mind than the undisciplined affections of your own heart. Resize your affections and your expectations. They're constantly feeding one another. Resize them. Because if you don't, they're going to get out of control. Here's the third thing. So, number one, dethrone yourself. Number two, resize your expectations. Number three, this is going to be the hardest one that I'm, I promise you this is going to be the hardest one for you. Tell me if it's not. A week from now, tell me if it's not. Take what they give you the next time you order, no matter what. When you go to Wendy's, when you go to Famous Anthony's, when you go to Chick-fil-A, and your order for that six-count nuggets comes out with, heaven forbid, five nuggets. <laughs> Do not go up to the counter and point out that you only got five nuggets and you're hoping to get a free gift card because of it. 
I'm serious. Try it. I double dog dare you. <laughs> because if you at that moment could discover that Jesus is enough, it'd be life-changing. And I'm telling you this because I've been working on this sermon for two weeks, and it's happened like seven times. Twice at a coffee shop, once at Chick-fil-A, once at Cafe Asia. You have to decide ahead of time. I'm not going to say... Now, if you have a health... If you have a food allergy, I'm not saying just eat the gluten and suffer for Jesus, okay? <laughs> All right, I don't, I, I'm, looking for, I'm looking for Carrie and Paula. I don't know where Paula is, but I am not saying that, okay? I'm not telling my son, Zach, you know. If you have, if you have a reason not, right, obviously. I'm, I'm talking about the consumerism that's living inside of you. It, you're going to be amazed. You're going to be amazed at how powerful and strong Jesus is. When you decide, I or, like we ordered wonton soup, but we got miso soup. This happened to us. We got it home. We put it out on the counter. We, we, we get the same order almost every time. Two wonton soups, right? We try to split that for like 12 people. <laughs> and... And we get them out, and it's not wonton soup. And we all look at each other like, what the heck? This was going to be a great Friday night. I mean, the night before Christmas Eve, it's kind of a family tradition. I'm telling you, if you, if you, if you try to practice this, it's going to happen. Take the drink. Take the food. Don't be mad. Don't try to send it back. Meet Christ in that moment. Meet God the Father who's got the whole world at your disposal. And just take your food and go somewhere else and thank God that you have something to eat. Thank God for that. We have become incredibly difficult people because we want everything exactly like we want it. And we're missing the sovereignty of God in this moment. Now, I am, again, I'm not talking about if something is illegal or unethical or you've been, I'm, I'm talking about some, you're, listen, you are intelligent, creative people. Figure out a way how to mortify this consumerism that's living inside of us. Take what they give you with gratitude. If the coffee's not hot, en if the coffee's not hot enough, I'm trying to hit everybody here. <laughs> if the coffee's not hot enough, I dare you to drink it anyway. And say to yourself, don't say it to the table, don't show everybody how spiritual you're being. Just do it. Just say, you know, just say to yourself right now, Jesus, the Son of God, is enough. I don't have to have everything just like I want it. And just go with it. Let it ride. Philippians 4.13 doesn't mean you get to be the greatest. Philippians 4.13 doesn't mean you get everything like you want it. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things, don't miss these words, through Him, through Christ. He is my strength. I can stare down the complaint. I can stare down the disappointment as I look to Christ, my Savior. He will strengthen me. For some of you who are interested in doing some homework on this, uh, 
Bob Jones has written, uh, Robert Jones, our friend, um, who was at Southeastern, he's now in Louisville, Kentucky at Southern, uh, has written an article called Learning Contentment. And so I made a copy of it for knowing that all of you needed, I made one for all of you. Um, there, there's just a lot of them in here. I don't know how many we've got, if it, but, but feel free to take, take at least a copy or two. There's, they're on the tables out here, and there's also a stack at the front of each section. So there's a stack here, a stack here, a stack by Danny, and a stack here. Okay, so find a copy of this article if you're interested on your way out, and there's some in the table, again, on the tables in the commons, and take it as a homework assignment. Let's ask the Lord for help. Um, I want to pray for you and for me. And somebody might say, hey, why, why do we do this one? Here's the bottom line. The reason we chose this discipline for this year is basically because I need it. So... That's how we landed here. I need it more than you do. So just jump on the train with me. Let's pray together. Jesus, I pray that you would help us to practice this secret, powerful, life-changing habit. Show us that there is an untapped strength of courage and resolve that grows out of Christ. Teach us that God is enough. Lord, give us a easy, sweet, kind, patient, even if strong spirit. Help us to be resolved to practice this life-giving habit. We pray in the name of Christ. Amen.